Hello and welcome to the Fun Kids Bookworms podcast is a best of 2022. My name is Bex and I'm very happy you're here because, oh boy, we've got an absolutely brilliant show for you. On the way today, we'll be going back in time to Alison Hammond, talking about her book, Black in Time, the most awesome Black Britons from yesterday to today. We'll be checking in with Ben Miller and his brand new adventure, The Night We Got Stuck in a Story. We'll hear a reading from Christopher Edge and we'll check out what happened when I met Benjamin D to talk about his new book, The Secret Sunshine Project. Yes, you're right, it's been a busy old year for books and for me at Fun Kids, and I've loved every second of it. So, as promised, you know what? Let's check in right now with an interview I did earlier this year with Alison Hammond. She was so lovely, so amazing. Her book is brilliant. Here we go. Oh, hi, Bex. Thanks for having me. This is so exciting. No, I, well, I really appreciate it because, Alison, I have read your book, Black in Time, and oh, I, I think it's brilliant. I loved it. <laughs> I'm so glad you've read it. And yeah, it's just a really enjoyable book. It's the sort of book that you can nip in, nip out. You don't have to read it all in one. You can come back to it. You can just you can absorb one of the amazing black figures in it and just like go, wow. They were incredible. It's historical. It's people you well you might have heard of. Some of them you might never have heard of. And it's just a lovely collection of wonderful people who have done incredible things. Honestly, you tapped into my little, I've got a little history bug inside me and you tapped into it really well. Oh, you know what? It's so good that you said that, Bex, because that's exactly what I wanted from this book. There's, there's still amazing people in history that we don't know about. So if I've tapped into somebody's like bug for finding out more, that would be absolutely incredible. And that's what I want. I want kids to go out and in, do their own investigations. Obviously, I concentrated on black people like but there's Asian people, there's people of lots of different ethnicities here in Britain who were part of our history that we probably don't know about. So if I can ignite something in, in children or in adults, that would be great. I think it is that also that book that adults are going to love as well. It's not just for kids. Yeah, because as you say in the book, um, I mean, I didn't study a lot of these people at school. You know, we study the Romans and the Tudors for, it feels like, about 10 years. And, you know, some of the people you mentioned, I was like, I've never heard, like Septimus, the, the emperor and stuff. So I didn't know about this man. This is amazing. I mean, I didn't know about Septimius Severus. And he was a major part. He was an emperor. He led from the front. You know, he was a, he fought in battles. He loved his soldiers. And he was a black guy. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. This, who is he? Where's he from? And it was yeah. just so interesting to hear about these people. Like, you can remember, like, learning about Henry VIII. But I didn't know he had a black trump in his course. Yes. You know what I mean? I didn't know this. I was like, wow, who is this man? And then you go on to find out that John Blank was the guy who went to Henry VIII, bearing in mind that Henry VIII was the guy who used to chop people's heads off, even his wives. And like he went up to him and he said, listen, you're not giving me fair pay. I want a little bit more. I want it to be the same as everybody else. I want fair pay. And then he, he actually got that from the king. Do you know what I mean? So there's these incredible people pioneering, you know, forward thinking, not afraid to, to stand up for what was right. And I believe it's important that I stand up for these guys who are not around anymore. 
and and bring them to the forefront and and for our kids to to look at and it's nice to to get a different perspective on history i he actually the trumpeter was another person i read and made a little note of because i was like this is this is amazing like henry VIII bought him the wedding clothes as a present and stuff like that it's like that's yeah well he was obviously really liked by henry the you know what i mean and uh yeah he was an integral part and i think he was a really good trumpeter as well to the point where he even helped and taught Henry VIII a few little moves on the trumpets and stuff like that taught him how to to use a trumpet so yeah and, and if you go back in history if you dig even deeper you can find pictures of him as well but there's so listen there's so many different figures in time I mean Mary Seacole we a lot of people have heard about her yeah I did I did know Mary Seacole yeah yeah and I remember learning about Mary Seacole from my mom actually because my mom said that I was very kind and caring like Mary Seacole so I was like oh, who is who is this Mary Seacole? Who is she? And it turns out she she was a very vibrant, loud, vivacious. You know, the soldiers absolutely loved her because she was absolutely hilarious, but she was very kind as well. And um, her sort of medicine was very much from the land. She used to use, grow herbs and spices and stuff like that to, to heal people. So, yeah, she was a lovely woman. And my mum said she, I, that I reminded her of Mary Seacole. So she's in the book, which is lovely. But it's just, but also what's lovely as well is not only have I got these characters that are no longer here anymore, there are people from here and now who are movers and shakers and are doing incredible things now. Well, this, I love that you kind of compare and contrast. You've got like Phyllis Wheatley, who was a poet of her day, then you've got Mallory Brackman, Mallory Brackman say afterwards, and it's quite a nice little modern and old kind of version, isn't it? Yeah, it's like merging the old and we who what what are they doing now? How are they, you know, inspiring us now? Which which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to compare different people. I mean, if you look at the illustrations and stuff like that, it's just a beautiful book. It's very colourful, lots of pictures. Um, I mean, there's 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 me just putting my two pennies worth in so often. But I'm really, really lucky because there's no way I could have got this book out today if, if it wasn't for my co-writer, who's been brilliant, uh, Emma Norrie. I've got to give a mention to her because literally without her, she's the person who literally kicked my butt into action and like said, listen, we've got to make these deadlines and we've got to get on it. And she was so thorough in everything she does she really went into research as you know I do a lot on TV so I needed that backer to help me with this book so I've got to give her a bit of a mention because as, as you mentioned in the back as well you put lo- like lovely resources as well yeah. um I think <laughs> timelines in black history is one of them it's a book I've got as well Have you got and, yeah, and it's so there's so much more to say. There's so many more stories, aren't there? Yeah, so many more stories. And you like I said, this isn't the, the only book out there. There's so many other books, so many references that you can go to. So I definitely included that. So are you a book buff then? I am. I love my books and I love my history. So like I say, oh, this was, for me, this was the real sweet spot. This like really hit home. And what's great is when you go out, you can start talking about some of these people and they'll be like, I didn't know that. I was wondering, was there somebody in particular that you hadn't heard about beforehand? And you were like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I didn't know this person existed. And now I'm thrilled I do. Well, to be fair, most of them uh, I didn't really hear about. But um, the, per- the person I really was quite inspired, my son absolutely loved uh, going on trains as a child. He loved trains. He loved, like, to, in order for my son to, like, not be bored, I would literally go to the train station, sit there, read a book while he was just watching trains with a whistle, with a flag, like 
like talking to the, every time the train go past, he'd like wave to them and say, yeah, you can go on, you go. And they'd always toot to him. And someone who really resonated in the book, who I'd never really heard of, was Asquith Xavier. He was amazing. His name was Asquith Camille Xavier. And he was like the first black train guard. But before that, he couldn't be a black train guard because there was something called, um, it was called a, oh God, what was he called? It was called a colour bar was in place. Now, a colour bar is like an unofficial, like uh, institutional racism in a way. So to stop people of colour from getting certain jobs that were up front. So you couldn't be a train guard. You couldn't be like in the receptionist or anything like that. When you were, you just, black people just were not allowed. So there was this thing called a color bar in place. And he did a campaign and basically got rid of that color bar so that black people and people of color could come forward and people of different nationalities, you know, who were different, could actually take jobs and work up the ranks, which was absolutely amazing. He was a pioneer in himself. I didn't really know about him, but I just remembered, oh my God, my son really wanted to be a train driver. But could you imagine if it was like in 1918 when when we you just wasn't allowed and he wasn't, I just can't believe that because of the color of your skin, you wasn't allowed to do certain things. And it's just, he, you know, rightly, just put himself on the line. You know, he got death threats and people weren't happy about it. And he put himself on the line for so many other people. And then, like, you go on the trains now and it's just a standard to see black, white, you know, Asian, everybody. And he's the guy who was able to, to, to work as a train guard at Euston Station. And it's, not, it's only, it's recent, you know, it's 1960s. This was, this was happening. So, um, I just think, you know, people like that who I didn't know about, who who, who have made change, I think they need to be recognised and brought forward. It's so funny you say him. He was he was the one that really, like, I was I was really uh, moved by that one because I was like, I, it's so recent, like you say. I was like, there's a plaque at Euston. I could go and... Yeah, there is a plaque, yeah. yeah. And there's one where he used to catch the train all the time as well. There's like a gold plaque. So he's got two plaques. In I the wish world, two plaques, yeah. yeah. I don't want to give too much away. I want people to read the book, but honestly, it's such an inspiring and uplifting book. And what I want people to know is, this isn't for a particular. You know, this is this book isn't for black people. This is for everyone because this is our British history that we never heard about. This book is for everyone. You want to get this to everybody. Oh my god, Alison. Well, yeah. Fingers crossed. It. I'm sure it will. To be honest, and uh, we'll do the word as best, spread the word as best we can. Um, Alison, thank you. Thank you so much for chatting to us about your new book, A Black in Time. Uh, it is brilliant. And thank you for reading it. And and I'll try and get you a copy in the post because you deserve it. Please do. I'd love it so much. Thanks. <laughs> now, we couldn't have a best of the year without my friend of the show, Ben Miller, could we? He came into Fun Kids HQ to talk about his newest book, The Night We Got Stuck in a Story. And here he is. I'm joined right now by one of my favourites. It's Ben Miller. Hey, Ben, how you doing? I'm going to do a little victory. Woo! I'm really well, thank you. You see, this is the joy you can have in the studio. And you've brought with you a brand new book. I have. Here it is. The Night We Got Stuck in a Story. This is my my new storybook for readers of all ages, but especially... 7 to 11. Yeah, and it's uh, an absolute page turner. Absolute page turner. What a cracker. Well, I can um, say it because I've read it. So I did turn every page, which is handy. I I'm can not say allowed this to way. praise my own book, am I? But yeah, so basically I, the very, very short pitch <laughs> for the book is that uh, Lana and Harrison go to stay 
with um, Nana and Grandad. Mm -hmm. And at the bottom of Nana and Grandad's garden is a hollow tree. And they discover if they climb up this hollow tree, they can go into their bedtime story. What a great pitch. That's a, that's a lovely old pitch. But here's the thing, Ben yeah. Miller. Okay. okay. In, in your book, you have a lot of riddles. Lots of riddles. Lots of you riddles. love riddles, love of riddles. course. And what I've done here is, I every question I ask you, I'm going to ask you a riddle beforehand. So to get wow. more information about your book to the audience. Amazing. You're going to have to solve some riddles, or at least pretend to try I, and solve I'll them. Pretend to try and solve some riddles. So, so it's basically one riddle, one book-related question. Okay, great. Yeah, okay. Well, that dep- you know, depending on how well you do. Uh, so I'll start you off easy, and then I'll ask you a question about your book. Okay. okay. What gets wet while drying? A towel. Yes. Congratulations. Ah! Great. Okay. The first question I had to ask you was, uh, in the book, you have lots of amazing pictures, obviously, as usual. Um, you've got a character who looks a lot like Alexander Armstrong. Did you know? Is that Yasha? Yeah. Yes. I thought he looked a bit like... Um, a journalist called A.A. A. Gill. Oh, really? <laughs> but you're right. Yes, he does. He looks a bit like Alexander Armstrong. It's not meant to be Alexander okay, Armstrong. Okay, I'm just checking. That's him. a coincidence. I wasn't sure whether you'd kind of put that in there on purpose. I don't do the drawings. <laughs> <laughs> so it definitely, it definitely wasn't. You've got amazing character, Lana, and you've got her brother, Harrison. Yes. And they love climbing this tree. Can you tell us about how amazing this tree is? I'll tell you a little bit about this tree. So um, what's really extraordinary about this tree is it kind of has a face. So it has two eye... It's a hollow tree. It has two eye holes, a nose hole and a mouth. And Harrison and Lana love to climb in through the mouth of the tree into the hollow. And Lana's really excited at the beginning of this story because for the first time she thinks she's going to be tall enough to reach the handholds on the inside of the tree and climb right up to the top, which is something that she's seen lots of other children, seen lots of other children do. Anyway, once she's there, along comes a builder and a scientist. And the builder says, we're going to cut the tree down and we're going to build houses over this marsh that the tree is in the middle of. And the scientist says, you can't do that because there's a very special, rare type of spider living in this marsh called a golden diving bell spider. And the builder says, well, let's ask the children. He says to Lana, well, what do you want? Do you want a smelly old hollow tree or do you want an adventure playground? And Lana says, hang on a minute, (laughs) adventure playground. And he says, yes. Well, when we not, when we, when we build all the houses, we're going to build an adventure playground. And Lana thinks, oh, save, save spiders, have an adventure playground. She said, I'd like an adventure playground. Fair enough. To, to be honest, you would say that, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as any, as I certainly would have said. I would have said that, If yeah. somebody had asked me the question. But Lana then feels guilty. She feels like she's betrayed the spiders. And when Nana is reading her, her bedtime story, she, which is Beowulf, she can't sleep. Um, and um, she wakes up with this golden thread tied around her finger. And the golden thread is pulling, pulling on her finger. And the thread leads her and Harrison on an adventure. It leads them up through the hollow tree into her bedtime story, into her own version of Beowulf. But instead of the monster that you have in Beowulf, in this world, there's a spider queen who really wants to teach Lana a lesson. She wants to teach her the value of spiders. How do you feel about spiders? Oh, I was going to ask you this question as well, Ah, actually. But before I do, hang on a second. Oh, riddle. What has one eye but can't see? Hmm. A needle. Yes. Okay. Oh, my. <laughs> Somebody knows their riddles. Oh, somebody's prepared. Um, I'm okay with spiders, actually. My friends Are hate you? them. I'm one of the few people I know who can quite happily cup them and take them outside. Me too. Yeah. yeah I'm fine. I'm fine with spiders. Well, I used to be scared of them. We call it arachnophobia, don't we? When we're scared of spiders. I used to be scared of 
spiders when I was little. And then I, and then I remember reaching an age, right? I was funny, I was about 10 or 11 and suddenly I wasn't scared anymore and I could pick them up. And, yeah. you know, I kind of then started to think they're quite cool. What I love about spiders is, and if you get the chance, have, um, you know, your parents or your carer I could show you maybe on the internet, but you can see spiders' faces are some of the best things. Are they? Because I imagine they're cl- close up, they don't have like loads of eyes and they're a bit creepy. Well, they they look really cute. I mean, a lot of them are quite furry. They're telling you what they really remind me of, the honey monster. Okay. That's what a spider looks like. Because they quite often have a two big round eyes. Some of them have got up to eight eyes, but the other eyes are always really quite small. They're like in a, you know, usually in a little line between mm-hmm. their other two big eyes. And... Um, and they have these these really quite cute faces. I'm I'm pretty sure if we could see spiders close up, we would just love spiders. We think they were really cute. You're one of like three people who think spiders are cute. People can tolerate <laughs> spiders, but people don't think they're cute. There's some cute spiders in my story, but that's the whole thing. Is like Lana gets when she really um I don't want to give away the story mm. too much, but she goes on this incredible adventure and she really gets to meet to properly meet and get to know. One spider in particular, who is a proper character and is just absolutely adorable and funny and and actually Lana finds quite handsome. <laughs> well, yeah, again, I'm going to ask you, I was going to ask you a question about this lovely spider uh, before I ask, I have to ask you a riddle. Um, I think this is quite hard, this one. I have cities, but no houses. I have mountains, but no trees. I have water, but no fish. What am I? Oh, I like that. Now that. I think that's really hard. Oh, well, I have... Cities, but no houses. Cities. Mountains, but no trees. Mountains. Water, but no fish. Cities, but no houses. Oh, I love this riddle. <laughs> I've never even heard this one before. I hope you're not disappointed by the answer. No idea. Absolutely no idea. Well, according to the internet, the answer is a map. Oh, <laughs> no. I did think a picture, actually. Yeah. I did think a well, picture. Well, thinking's no good. That's no, not the, that's, no, but I wouldn't be the right answer yeah. either. Probably it's a map. Of course it is. So uh, back to Elvis. Yes, that's back who we're to Elvis. About. Elvis yeah, the spider. Elvis the spider, yeah. So he has a quiff like Elvis. Um, he's, uh, yeah, he's a bit of a leader. Mm-hmm. He's he's quite groovy. Yeah. He's quite funny. So, you've got, so basically you've got Lana and she's trying to rescue her brother from this crazy world. That's right. Because um, as I say, she goes into sort of into the story of Beowulf, but instead of a monster, the story of Beowulf was about a warrior called Beowulf who saves a village from a monster called Grendel. And in my story, Lana really becomes... Well, she becomes kind of the Beowulf character. She's got to save this village from what they think is a monster, but actually turns out, well, I don't want to spoil this whole story, but it turns out to be um, a spider queen, a, a queen who's capable of changing between being a, a human form queen and being a spider. And this spider queen kidnaps her brother and she's got to get her brother back. Have spider. You can have a PhD in spiders. That's, I'll, I'll give you one. Uh, next up, we've got to obviously do a riddle. Is this going to be harder than the other riddle? Because that was <clears> really hard. That was pretty hard. hard. I, think, I think you'll get this one. I think. You seem to be pretty savvy with riddles. What is so fragile that saying its name breaks it? What is so fragile? Uh, silence? Yes. Oh, oh my amazing. goodness. Wow, this is pretty good. Um, so there's also lots of really fun bits in the book as well. You've got a bit with Chinese whispers, which really made me laugh. Yes. Where it's like the spiders are talking to each other and it gets further down the line. Always gets, um, the message always gets completely mangled. It doesn't seem to work to me. You know, the idea of, you know, passing a, you know, so the idea is there's so many of these spiders and they're, they're very, um, you know, they're all very cooperative. Yeah. 
But, but you know, inevitably, as you sort of pass the message down the line, it just gets changed. So by the time the end, the spider at the end of the chain is telling them the instruction, it's just something completely different. I loved it. It made me laugh out loud. But it made me think, like, does the book could be put into to made into a film or something? Have you? I would love that. Like, yeah, I would love I, this, that. This obviously, I've read all of your books, Ben, as you know. Yeah. And this was one of them where I was like, I can imagine this being made into a kind of like a big, long film for like a Christmas. TV Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah, well, that would be wonderful. Would I mean, I'm so sorry. I have no power. For it. I'm so sorry to lead you on. I can't commission it myself. I thought you were going to make it. I thought you were about to say, and I am going to make and this film. finally, my life's work. I've got the BBC commission. Sadly, I can't do it, but I think you should. But I was wondering, if you were to make this book into a TV show, what would you cast yourself as? What character? Oh, who would I play? I don't think... Oh, I'd have to play... Oh, that's... Yeah, I'd have to play the um, builder. The sort of... Um, yeah, there's a builder. Um, I love... He's called Carl Ellis. Yes. What makes me laugh about Carl Ellis particularly is that he always wears shorts. I'm a big fan of um, grown-up men who always wear shorts, even way out of season. Um, now, I've got one more riddle that I really, really enjoyed, but I don't know whether this will work, whether you'll like it. Uh, what kind of room has no windows or doors? <laughs> this is such a silly one, but it really made me A laugh. mushroom. Yes! <laughs> I don't know why that really tickled me. I was like, yeah, big fan of that. Yes, really big fan. brilliant. Really happy with that. Brilliant. Um, all right, then. Well, thank you so much for telling us all about your brand new book. Thanks, Bex. Thanks, thanks, really thanks for it. inviting me. So one of my favourite books from this year was Christopher Edge's Escape Room. Every book that he writes, I absolutely devour immediately because there's always loads of twists and turns. I never see the ending coming and it is always properly brilliant. So... Here is a reading from that very book. Well, I am joined right now by author Christopher Edge. Hey, Christopher, how's it going? Good, thank you, Bex. Uh, genuinely, I love your book so much. So when I heard you had a new book out, I was really excited. But I also find them, you're one of the most difficult authors authors to interview because there's always something I can't really spoil or reveal to the listener. <laughs> Yes, I've done it again. So I'm sorry about that. There's a few spoils in this new one escape room. Well, let's see how we go with it. I'll try not to ruin too much. So first of all, like I said, I was genuinely thrilled when I heard you had a new book because I I do love your books. Um, And Escape Room is all about Amy, who is going on an adventure. What can you tell us about Amy? So yeah, so Escape Room is a story about finding the answer and saving the world. And it follows a girl called Amy as she enters the escape, which is the ultimate escape room. And there she meets uh, four teammates, Oscar, Adua, Ibrahim and Min. And they meet the host of the game who gives them their mission to find the answer and save the world. But as the host locks Amy and her friends inside the first room, they quickly realise that this is no ordinary game. Oh, that's the setup. That's what I wanted to hear. Now... I've got to say, the first room they're in, already I was like, oh my goodness, if this was a real escape room game, that, you know, the production values would be pretty immense. I mean, it must have been quite exciting to kind of make up this escape room. It was lots and lots of fun. What what I love about escape rooms, because as as part of the search, I played a couple, uh, is they immerse you in another reality. And so in uh, Escape Room, the story, I wanted to do that for the reader. So in the first room, Amy and her friends meet a chess-playing automaton who they have to defeat at a game of chess. And uh, it has some uh, dangerous... uh, It's a more dangerous game of chess than most games of chess, I can tell you. 
There's also, I mean, I, again, you've really put me in a bind here because I don't want to ruin too much. But there is, there's a theme of dust running through the book. I wanted to ask about that as well. Yeah, so the, uh, another of the rooms they find themselves in, they find themselves in this cavernous library. It looks like it's filled with every book in the world. But when Amy tries to read the books, the words turn to dust on the page and she finds herself trapped in a dust storm in the middle of this library. And uh, yeah, dust is what, one of the themes. It's kind of the repeating kind of motif in the story. It kind of links this idea about how uh, ideas are around us all the time, like kind of uh, a person called Richard Feynman, who was a physicist uh, back in the 20th century, said he imagined one time you might be able to miniaturize all the information in the world's libraries onto a, a speck of dust, and that kind of inspired that part of the story. Oh, that's cool. Because, I mean, you must have done a lot of research for this because there are so many things that I was fascinated by, like the, the chess-playing uh, robot uh, and, like, all of those stories. Were they all true? Were they all real stories? Yeah, every room inside the escape. So from the library to, to a, a Maya tomb, kind of civilization from kind of like over a thousand years ago in Central and South America. So I had tons of research to do because every room is inspired by something real and and the themes of the room linked to the ideas and the stories too. Yeah, the uh, the the red dust in the Mayan tomb as well. I'd never heard of that before. That idea of it being kind of deadly. Yes. So this was a so uh, an actual archaeologist back in 1994 discovered this uh, hidden tomb in a Mayan temple, and it was a tomb of someone called, they they named the Red Queen of Palenque, a Mayan noblewoman whose body was covered in completely covered. She was surrounded by lots of uh, treasures and things, but every single thing in the tomb was covered in this red dust, which is cinnabar, which is uh, one of the most deadly minerals in the world. It's known as dragon's blood, and just a touch of that mineral can kind of eventually kill you. So it was almost like a booby-trapped tomb. So that was me putting kind of a a bit of an Indiana Jones uh, theme into the story too. Can you tell us a little bit about the other characters who are playing the game with Amy? Because as uh, as you kind of point out, they all have different roles to play. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've played the escape rooms, back, but the secret to play, uh, winning at an escape room is to have a good team. You need a team with different skills. You, know, you might need someone who's observant. You might need someone who's uh, good at puzzling things out. So in the escape room story, Amy has a team of friends who've all bring different skills. There's Ibrahim, who's very observant. There's Adjua, who's a bit of a risk taker. Min, who's got reserves of knowledge to draw on. And, and kind of Oscar, who kind of like, likes to move fast and break things. Uh, so it's a real mix of personalities, but together they hope they can find the answer. And in the story, in, in the escape room that you've created, which one do you think you would be the best at? When I actually did some escape rooms as a search, I wasn't very good. <laughs> I got locked in every time. Uh, I think I'd have most fun. I mean, I love the library, but uh, uh, another one, uh, they find themselves in an abandoned shopping mall. So, But this is quite a dangerous shopping mall because there's some strange creatures stalking the aisle. So as I was on the run from these strange creatures, I might just do a bit of shopping on the way. <laughs> So tell me about when you did your escape rooms, because I imagine you had to do a few for research. Um, Because, spoiler alert, I am absolutely terrible at escape rooms. I once did an escape room game with my friends, and 
about mm, 20 minutes in, the guy running it had to open the door and give us more clues because we were so bad at it. He was like, you're just not going to get this in time. So you can't be as bad as we were. I was. I might not have been far off. Uh, the the ones I did, I had one where I was locked in a museum and had to find a hidden artifact, and there was lots of cabinets to unlock. Keys are always a big theme in escape rooms: finding mm. keys, trying keys, uh, puzzling things out. The one that scared me the most was when I was trapped on a nuclear submarine, and that oh, the actor was about to go critical unless we could find the code to shut it down. And when the sirens were blaring and the red lights flashing, honestly, my heart was in my mouth. And I wanted to kind of, in the story escape room, I wanted to create that same atmosphere, you know, that high stakes, everything matters. And hopefully the readers' hearts will be racing as they turn the pages. Oh, you definitely did that. Because I was going to ask you, it's quite... um... It's quite an intense book. Like, there's always action on the go. Was that quite difficult to write, or was that exactly like you say? Was that just the vibe you were going? That for? was the vibe I was going for this one because I, I wanted to write a story that was kind of about a little bit about the problems that we face in the world today. But I didn't want this that to be kind of a book that was preaching at you. I wanted that to be a book that you pick up and you would not be able to put it down before you got to the end. I really wanted to kind of every chapter ends on a cliffhanger, and like in a real life escape room the stakes get higher and higher and higher as you go through the story. So it was a lot of fun to keep on ramping up the excitement uh, as I I built the climax of the story. Oh, you really, really did do that. And honestly, there's so much more I could say about it, but it's one of those books, as you've always written, that you you have to read it to really get the full force of it because it is such an exciting story. And I imagine you have have many more stories on the go, surely. I reckon you've got more, more up your sleeve. There's more on the way, hopefully. Yeah, so I'm just I'm just in the middle of starting something now. Uh, it's a kind of a bit of a quest story, but a quest with a twist. Well, that's what I want to hear from you, Christopher. I want it, I want to get those twists because you're the master of them. <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> oh, I, that, I'm going to put that quote on the jacket then, Bex. That's that's great. The master of the twist. Please do absolutely take that. Um, well, Christopher Edge, we should say uh, Escape Room is out right now, and um, thank you so much for chatting to us. And everybody needs to go and read it because honestly, it's. Uh, I mean, you're always one of my favourite authors, but it was an absolute dream to read. Uh, so thank you so much for chatting to us about it. Huge thanks, Bex. And let's wrap everything up with a lovely bow when we go back a couple of months to my chat with Benjamin Dean. He had a new book out called The Secret Sunshine Project, and this was what our chat was about. All right, I am joined right now by author and writer Benjamin Dean. You might know him from his book, Me, My Dad and the End of the Rainbow. He's got a brand new book out called The Secret Sunshine Project. Hey, Benjamin, how are you doing? Hi, I am good, thank you. How are you? I am good. I am really excited for your book because I've seen it in loads of bookshops. It is everywhere. (laughs) It's been quite fun. This is like the best part about a book coming out. You get to go out and see it in the shops and hopefully it's on a table or in a window. So um, yeah, it's been really, really fun to go around and kind of see the book and bring a bit of sunshine out there. Oh my goodness. And do you, I mean, if I was you, I'd do this. Do you go around shops and like kind of scout out your book, maybe move it to the front of the window perhaps? Um, I haven't yet climbed into the window to kind of do anything untoward that I shouldn't be doing. Um, fortunately, I mean, book sh- bookshops and booksellers have been so supportive. So um, I've I've seen the book in windows and on tables. Um, I do go in and scout it out and I kind of go in and if I see it and it's very quiet, I ask if I can maybe sign some copies. Nice. I really enjoy signing copies of my books. So if you give me a bit of paper, I'll just scribble on it. So uh, yeah, <laughs> to, to sign books is great. 
I love the idea that people will maybe find a random like hidden copy with your name in it just because you were like, ah, I just fancied signing a book. Uh, yeah, no, honestly, I just, I think because my first book came out in the middle of lockdown when shops were closed, mm. I would take any advantage to go and scribble in a book. It still feels very naughty when I do it. I feel like <laughs> I shouldn't be doing it, but um, I always ask permission before I scribble in it. So no panic. <laughs> All right. You're, you're a good one there. Uh, so tell us about the new book then. You've got uh, some lovely characters, B and Riley. Um, can you tell us where it kicks off for them? Yeah, so the Secret Sunshine Project um, follows 12-year-old B, and at the very beginning of the story, um, her sister, 16-year-old Riley, blurts out over dinner that she thinks she has a crush on a girl at school. And so as a way of kind of making her feel uh, good about herself and like it's not something that should be othered, um, their parents decide that they should take them all on a day out to London Pride. So at the very beginning of the book, we have a nice magical day out at London Pride. Riley has a great time. Um, but then unfortunately, by the time we get to chapter two, um, the story's moved forward by a year and dad has sadly passed away. And so the family are kind of forced to move to the countryside and in with Gran and everyone's dealing with their grief in different ways. So it's all about finding the sunshine in your life again. It's kind of putting it in a nutshell. Oh, well summarised. I think we barely need to do anything else. No, we will, obviously. Um, so you, you get this kind of like real change, don't you, from going from the city and pride to to a little village where maybe it's a little a little bit more different. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely, it's kind of like the reverse for me because I grew up in a place that was not too dissimilar from St. Regent's Vale, which is the village. Um, when I was very, very young, I was from a, a little market town and they used to have an annual flower parade. So right. once a year, it was, it's kind of like the, my first experience of pride, except it wasn't a pride, it was a flower parade. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think when I was thinking about what story I wanted to tell, and I knew I wanted to tell something about bringing pride to a smaller place for the first time. Um, I got thinking about the flower parade from the place that I'm from. And um, yeah, I started to build it up from there. So being able to go from the city of London and then go into the countryside felt very interesting to explore. It's like the reverse of me. Yeah, I can imagine. And you've also got this lovely setup of your two your two sisters, B and, and Riley. And, and Riley's not really loving being there, but B wants to help her out as much as she can and to cheer her up, basically. Yeah. Um, so there's this kind of like through line throughout the book of um, using colours to describe moods. Their mum is an artist and she encourages them to talk to her about how they feel. And if they can't find the words, then they should like pick a colour. And at the very beginning of the book, um, when we're at Pride, Riley says she feels all the colours of the rainbow. And she, so that means she's very, very happy. But by the time we get to St. Regent's Vale in chapter three, I think it is, uh, she says her mood is black and very dramatic. But you know, <laughs> as you are as a teenager, you sure. kind of a bit like the whole world is out to get you um, and I know I definitely had moments where my mood was black when I was a teenager so um, yeah uh, B will do anything to kind of bring a smile to her sister's face and she knows she really wants to go to Pride so she just thinks well what a great idea to bring Pride to us instead of having to travel to London. You've also got a little, a little bit of a villain in this as well the, the village kind of matriarch. <laughs> I had so much fun. I bet. <laughs> Um, because in my last book, uh, Me, My Dad and the End of the Rainbow, it was very just um, exploring identity and exploring change and separation, etc. So this time around, I was like, I really want a villain. I want someone who's mean, who stands in the way and who's kind of like power hungry. And so I'd kind of inspired by the likes of Cruella de Vil and Miss Trunchbull from Matilda. Um, I really wanted to have someone who was in charge of this village and wants everything her own way and has never really been challenged otherwise. So um, I know Bee's gran is very um, up for the fight but mm -hmm. she uh, otherwise Rita has never been challenged by anybody so now I'm, I'm gonna ask you so I'm from a, a pretty small market town as well a little village outside of a little market town and I've met these women I was wondering whether you'd, you'd maybe had any real life um, influences 
Um, definitely for the grand character. The grand character is absolutely based off my own grand. My grand is a small Irish woman who maybe swears a little bit too much. So I <laughs> that into the book because it's a children's book but um yeah she is very um she's she loves to protect her family and she's very outspoken and she doesn't stand for any nonsense so the grand character was so easy and fun to write because it was kind of like just thinking of my own gran and the experiences that i've seen of her protecting us as i was growing up so um definitely the grand character is based on my own gran so obviously this is a big book about pride and, and kind of finding yourself and so what was your first pride event that you went to Oh, wow. Um, my first Pride was I went to Birmingham Pride when I was, I think I just turned 18 in the, in the November and I think Birmingham would have been in the May. So I, uh, it was just before I went to uni. It was my first experience of ever being surrounded by um, other gay people or queer people, um, other people from the LGBTQ plus community. And it was without doubt one of the best days of my life still I hold it so dear to me now just because it was my first time of being I remember turning the corner onto the street where we were kind of going through the gates and seeing this huge crowd of people and just feeling like in a very cliche way that I was like at home which is how Riley feels in the book as well um I just remember thinking all these people are like me in one way or another and I feel like I I really fit in here and I'd never really had that experience growing up before. So um, yeah, going to Birmingham Pride was a, just a life-changing experience for me and every Pride ever since then has made me feel like I belong somewhere, which I really, really um, kind of look forward to feeling when I go. And I think also, I think that's what you probably do in the books as well, that, you know, for the LGBTQ plus community, for, for, for younger people reading it, you probably bring that sense of inclusion into a wider market, I imagine. Yeah, um, it's been so great. Um, I've been into a lot of schools over the last uh, couple of weeks and um, I was really nervous to do it. You know, public speaking, you stand up in front of kind of like mm-hmm. a, a school kids and it can be really daunting. But um, I've been welcomed in all of these schools and it's so amazing seeing kids kind of be able to relate uh, parts of themselves to characters in my book, no matter who that character might be. Um, and just to be able to see themselves, something that I say to them, um, I've been asked quite a few times about my inspirations for writing the book. And I've always said to them, when I was younger, I didn't really see characters who look like me on the cover of books mm-hmm. or characters who I could identify with. And it may, it makes you feel alone. It makes you feel like you are othered when you can't find yourself in the pages of a book or on the screens of your favorite TV shows. So when I came to writing my books, um, especially me, my dad, and the, the Rainbow and the Secret Sunshine Project, I wanted to make sure that every person would be able to find just a little bit of themselves in somebody. And so it makes you feel less alone, which I hope I've been able to give back to kids who maybe feel like I did when I was growing up. Oh, it's it's such an important book, honestly, and it's so lovely. Um, but before I let you go, every author who comes to Fun Kids, I do have a little game I play with them, like a kind of um, a this or that game, like quick fire round of questions. Oh, absolutely. Is I'm okay? very, yes. Yes. All right. Brilliant stuff. To be honest, had you said no, I would have probably done it anyway. So, you know. <laughs> Uh, so here we go first up books or kindles Uh, books I bought a kindle and then put it in a drawer and never used it I just I have to be holding a book to read it otherwise I can't read it I did the same thing I don't know where it is anymore my poor little kindle in the dark somewhere Uh, heroes or villains Oh, I'm going to be controversial and say villains. I think villains have a much more interesting backstory usually. And I really enjoy the um, kind of thinking about them as a character and why they are the way they are. Oh, good answer. Film adaptation or TV adaptation? Oh, 
TV adaptation <laughs> uh, because you can kind of fit more in. You've got episodes, so hopefully if it's like six or eight episodes, you've got more chance to fit all of your book in there. Yeah, no, that's a good shout. Writing or reading? Writing. Uh, actually, no, I take that back. Reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> mostly because I write all the time and I don't have as much uh, time to read as I as I would like to anymore, um, especially when you're under deadline. So I absolutely love kind of getting lost in a book all over again and feeling that magic of it pulling you in. Excellent. Uh, laptop or write by hand? Oh, absolutely a laptop. Uh, I have a friend who writes by hand and I do not know how she does it, but uh, I am all for ease and efficiency. So laptop. Oh, the cramp would be horrific. Um, do you prefer writing about celebrity gossip or writing kids books? <laughs> uh, I prefer writing kids books. Celebrity gossip is fun to tweet about more than it is to write about. In- <laughs> so uh, yeah, writing kids books, tweeting celebrity gossip. <laughs> Great answer. Uh, write nine to five or do you write when you fancy? Uh, now I write when I fancy because I no longer have a nine to five job. So right. I very much enjoy picking out when, I, when I'm going to write. Um, I probably should do nine to five, but I do, absolutely do not. Uh, Paddington Bear or Winnie the Pooh? Uh, I'm going to go Paddington, but controversially, I've never seen the movies Paddington. What? So I know, and everyone, sh- all my friends shout at me, they say it's a great movie and the sequel's even better. But um, because they all love it so much, I'm going to say Paddington. That's, I mean, to be honest, a lot of people actually normally say Paddington, but they say I've never read the books, I've just seen the film. So you've done it either way around. That's very no, Honestly, I feel so bad. Everyone's going to be shouting as listening to this. But. Um, honestly, your friends are right. You should definitely watch the second one, especially. Uh, if oh, only for Hugh Grant, just l- having a lovely time. Um, that's absolutely, you've sold it. I'll go and watch it right now. Please do. Finally, the last one is the big one. Uh, this is the important thing. Salt and vinegar or cheese and onion? Oh, I would have said cheese and onion. No, yeah, cheese and onion still. Salt and vinegar is catching up, but cheese and onion. Oh, it's a shame because salt and vinegar is the best, in my opinion. I can't believe we got this far without fighting and now we have to just go to war. Yeah, that, that was that was the end of the interview. I'm going to terminate it early. Done. Um, no, I'll let you off. It's fine. Um, because you said salt and vinegar was catching up. So I feel like, you know, maybe next time I interview you, you'll, you'll be there. <laughs> Absolutely. As my as my taste palette matures, I feel like salt and vinegar is, is getting up there. So Yes, come join me in the salt and vinegar gang. Um, well, Benjamin, thank you so much for chatting to us about your new book, Secret Sunshine Project. Like we mentioned, it's in literally every bookshop I've ever walked past. Um, so congratulations. And uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Oh, what a year we've had. I haven't even had time to squeeze in some other amazing authors I've talked to. Uh, Robin Stevens, David Walliams, Fern Cotton. It's been quite a big year here on Fun Kids and in Bookworms. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Don't you worry, next year it's going to be even bigger and better than ever. I hope you have an amazing Christmas. I hope you maybe read a book or two. And I hope to see you soon. Bye. <laughs>